0: Let us now turn to our scripture reading, which comes to us from 2 Corinthians, and I'll, lead, I'll read verses 7 through uh, 18, 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 18, 7 through the end of the chapters, 2 Corinthians 3. And in terms of the sermon, we're definitely going to focus more on verse 12 through through 18, with the greatest focus on verse 17. So... Uh, Beginning to read with chapter 3, verse 7, Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote, But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his covenant, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their, their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains un, unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one returns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But when we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, into the same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the lord may the lord bless this reading to our good understanding <clears throat> so we have here in this t- discussion of the old testament and the new testament and the transition between the ministry of the old testament with the ministry of the new testament and it's more more clear a clearly defined gospel we have here this, uh, this expression where this, the Spirit of the Lord is there, is liberty. So the idea of liberty or freedom is brought up in this larger discussion of the transition of the Testaments. And uh, this, this verse is a great proof text for the whole idea of liberty and freedom. And um, we can discuss it, as we will on the sermon, we can discuss it from a number of different perspectives, but we can discuss it in terms of theology, we can discuss it in terms of human law or national law or politics. But uh, wherever, whatever, however we discuss these things, the, the text is obviously applicable. Where the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. So we see in this text that liberty or freedom is most tied to an intimacy with the Lord. And Paul here is explaining that as God has become more uh, fulsome in his explanation of the gospel between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that the the, uh, spirit of liberty has increased. He says in the verse prior to this one, Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And he says, before that, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So when we talk about, in in this larger subject area, when we talk about liberty or freedom, whether it's freedom of conscience or uh, freedom of speech, when we talk about these things, we ought to be alerted right away that uh, freedom is really dependent upon the Lord in one way or another. And then we cannot talk about freedom of speech or freedom of conscience or uh, freedom uh, of uh, behavior, uh, free will, all of these things. We cannot talk about them uh, outside of the fact that, that God exists. Is, is God not the one who has created Are these fundamental concepts of life? Of course. And so, how can we think of these things outside of the existence of God? But, of course, today. When we hear political discussions about this, the Lord is not often brought up, often he is not referred to, because we live in a secular day, a secular age, where people try to do all of their thinking outside of the context of the Lord. Now, what that does to us is it it leads to a great deal of confusion, oftentimes for Christians. Because they're talking about the, these subjects in an artificial uh, context. And you just can't do that and really be right. Uh, in order to be right, you've got to t- t- talk about these things in the fullest context possible. And, of course, that involves the Lord, his existence, and his creation of these things. So we're going to be looking at, at freedom of speech and uh and the title of the sermon is, is Freedom of Speech. Really? Uh, do we really have this? How, how do we think of this? Now, as I said already, when I was introducing this earlier in the service, I said that so much of this has come out because uh, Leon Musk, one of our resident billionaires here in America, uh, has bought Twitter, and there's been a huge debate over Twitter and its... Um, reigning in freedom of speech, it's uh, suppressing the national political debate in America rather than furthering it. This came out also in the correspondence dinner that they had was it last night or last night uh, in Washington D.C. because uh, a number of people raised the irony that the press in America well, worldwide, the press ostensibly should be for helping people to understand things, for uh, promoting or delivering more information to people. But in this case, in recent years, the press has actually been an agent uh, for suppression of information and suppression of news, completely differently than it's ever behaved before. I mean, I guess before there's always been... People here and there that have done that sort of thing, but there's never been as an industry, by and large, if anything, the press has been more for freedom in the past. My, my uh, the, the press would have been compared to the government uh, with the idea that the government may be trying to push something over on you. The government may have some program that they are promoting that is not good, but we will, we will put light on this program. We will show you. What you really need to be thinking about to see it. So for the, the press to not be uh, in, in favor of free speech is almost an anomaly today. It's just, uh, it's never, and, and most of us, most of you are not older than me. And, uh, I, I, that whole idea has never come up in the whole of my life. If you had decreed, um, uh, freedom of speech or freedom of the press in earlier days, you would have been booed, you would have been, you would have been considered a traitor to America. Now, in our day, you're almost considered a traitor if you hold up for a free freedom of speech. And uh, you might be considered a racist or an evil person for holding these things. So how, how does a Christian come to think of these things? And so, the, hence the outline of the sermon you have in your bulletin. The first point is uh, to consider freedom in the Garden of Eden. It's always good when we're you're discussing things to go back to think back. How what what was it like in the Garden of Eden before the fall? It's always good to consider things in, the, in this paradigm of of, uh, of of Eden, the fall, and then life after the fall, and that sort of mechanism for analyzing these things. So when you look at the Garden of Eden. Uh, and the, you see this in Genesis two and following, Genesis two eight and following. You see that Adam and Eve were in the garden, and uh, it was before the fall. Everything was moving along so smoothly; it was a, it was the ideal. And so, in the garden, there was uh, there was freedom of speech. Adam and Eve spoke freely, but they were it was different than now because. There was, there was a self control that they themselves imposed upon their speech because they were in perfect harmony with the Lord. So there was, they spoke freely, and, and, and there was no coercion on them. God was not forcing them to speak in a certain devotion to Him. They spoke freely, but they spoke beautifully because all of their speech was congruent with who God was and how he might have them to speak. Remember, it was only after they sinned that then there was a cha- an interior change in their souls, in their hearts. And they began to think of everything differently. When God came into the garden, that instead of running out and greeting him and throwing their arms around him, metaphorically speaking, they hid from him. And so at that point, they began to uh, hear the speech of the devil and uh, his temptations, his way of speaking, hath, you know, he said, God did not say, he'd contradict God, then he'd say skeptically, hath God said this or that? And their minds then were open to that kind of speech where they hadn't been before. So, the uh, in the Garden of Eden, that, it was a beautiful arrangement, in terms of speech, and its freedom, and its fidelity. Uh, All speech was free, but all speech was faithful. There was no speech that was revolutionary or rebellious against the Lord. All speech uh, adored the Lord and and thought of whatever the subject was, whatever the conjecture was in Adam and Eve's mind. It was always a coordinate with the Lord, a complementary to the Lord, praiseworthy of the Lord, worshipful to the Lord. It was a kind of ideal that we can hardly imagine when we're thinking of life today. But it's good to think of that. There is the the foundation for the way we might think about freedom of speech uh, in its most beautiful, uh, beatific uh, condition. Secondly, we ought to think of freedom uh, after the fall. And, of course, that's the context of this passage that we've read this morning, where Paul is—I mean, you know, where Paul is talking about uh, speech and um, how people uh, and, and just freedom—and he's talking about it in terms of the transition between Moses and now—and now. and he says he says things are getting better because the Holy Spirit is working um, with the the uh, progressive progression of revelation, the progress of the gospel. Uh, and, and God used the, Moses for the gospel, but now he's even, um, he's even using, um, Moses more clearly because of Jesus Christ. And he says, in fact, that the people should have seen the, the freedom, uh, of, of the Spirit in Moses, but there was a veil that was over their brains. So that they behave like the, uh, the, uh, Saul, who became the apostle Paul. Remember, Saul was persecuting the church. He, he 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 was immersed in Moses after a fashion, but he didn't understand Moses. There was a veil that had covered his face. And on the road to Damascus, the Spirit spoke to him, and, and uh, uh, he said, Who is this uh, speaking to me? And the Spirit said, uh, This is Jesus, whom you are persecuting all of a sudden the veil was ripped off of his face. All of a sudden, or off of his head. All of a sudden he had to consider things from an entirely different perspective. Here was a man, a Pharisee of Pharisees as he calls himself. And yet he had not understood that in the the sacrificial system of Moses. That there was all kind of teaching about how to be free in the grace of God. How to be free in the righteousness of God. As it says here in this in this passage, as it ta- as it um, as it contrasts the two ages, and uh, uses the word righteousness to describe the New Testament age, the age of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ revealed not just the righteousness of the law, but He revealed the right, the spiritual righteousness that flowed in His veins, that then He could impute to us if we cast ourselves upon Him. So, after the fall, our minds were compromised, they were corrupted. You can see this right back in the, in the book of Genesis, you can see it with uh, Cain, who slew his brother Abel, you can see it with Lamech, another uh, Canaanite who bragged and boasted and, and uh, behaved with all kinds of ethical, moral excess. He would kill a person who had insulted him. Now, these are things of speech. These are things where it shows that there was something awry, something had been wrecked in the way the human brain worked. John 34 says, He who sins is a slave to sin. It's a great text. It is applicable to so much in our lives. He who sins is a slave to sin. When we sin, we're a slave to sin in the sense that we now have a record of sin. As long as we have a record of sin, we cannot be accepted by God. So we're a slave to sin. Sin enslaves us in that we can never be accepted by God as long as we have this record of sin in our account. And then he who sins is a slave to sin in terms of his behavior, both in terms of justification and sanctification, or belief in, in the Christian life. Because when we sin, we find ourselves enslaved to whatever the sin is that we're committing. The first time that a person drinks too much alcohol and becomes drunk and then conjures that up as a desire for the future. When he first begins that sin... He, he, has, he has a lot of freedom to avoid it. Not total freedom, but he has a much more freedom to avoid it than as later on once we begin to indulge ourselves in sin, whether it's alcoholism or drugs or adultery or the way we talk, blasphemies. How many of us uh, had such rough speech earlier in our lives, prior to Christ? And then when we became Christians, we said, Caught ourselves using profanity. It shocked us. Why? Why why do I? Why would I use that word or in that phrase in that way? And we realize that we're in the process of redemption now. And so, God and the Spirit is reversing the slavery that we earlier had to the way that we spoke, to the words that we used, or just to the hateful way that we speak. Some people are just. Some people thrive by thinking negatively about their neighbors. They, they feel justified because they can talk so negatively about their friends and their neighbors. The more they run them down, the more they think they will pump themselves up. But this is a slavery to sin. Again, John eight thirty four. So, uh, after the fall, uh, sin is uh, compromised and corrupted, as I said, and, uh, and freedom no longer operates in a natural or easy fashion. So the third point is the only true freedom that we have is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's brought out in our our text here. Um, Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. Now the Spirit of the Lord enters in and will challenge us and the spirit, we can, we can, as we look at the way the, the Holy Spirit works in our lives, we can, we can argue that maybe the Holy Spirit is making us less free, because the Holy Spirit is coercing us to move this way and that way differently than we were before. But the problem is, or the the key is to see that the Holy Spirit only moves us in more positive ways, in ways that we were created to be. I had the illustration given to me earlier on in my life about a train that that uh, chugged along through this beautiful meadow up in the mountains. And uh, one day, as he was he was a personification of the train, so one day as the little train was chugging through the meadow, he saw the beautiful flowers and the stream and that sort of thing, and he, he thought, you know, I'm enjoying them on my rails, but I would really like to get closer to the flowers closer to the stream and so the little train decided that he would derail himself on one of the turns that was there by the by the uh, running through the valley so he got up to speed a little bit and sure enough he couldn't take the turn and the train rumbled off the tr- crashed off the tracks now was the train more free after or before? Was that were the train tracks were they helpful for the train's freedom or were they coercive and disruptive of the train's freedom? Well, of course, we 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 see it immediately that the rail actually helped the train's freedom to go long distances quite fast and see so much of the world whereas when the train got his definition of freedom and he derailed himself all of a sudden he lost all other kinds of freedoms. he might be close to the flowers but it was only the flowers that were underneath him or beside him in the crash he could never again sniff the flowers that he would see uh, as he rolled along Many miles away, hundreds of miles, thousands perhaps, as he rolled along on those tracks. Well, God's law are the tracks of our lives. And as long as we behave as God created us, we will have true freedom. It just depends on how you define freedom. Satan defines freedom by being able to do things contrary to the Lord. God defines freedom by doing things that are contrary, that are um, coordinate with the Lord. Which definition is true? Which Bible should we use—the Satanic Bible or Christ's Bible—to define these words and understand our situation? And so um, we see that uh, the only true freedom is in Christ. That's because um, when. When, when people lived back then, after the fall, they were free to disobey God, but only up to a certain level. Because in the end, there is a judgment that comes. Are, are you free when you behave in a certain way that you know that you will lose your life for that, that you will die, that you will be under God's judgment eternally? Is that really freedom? You see? Uh, people... The unbeliever, they cultivate the satanic view of freedom that is not free at all and really leads to all kinds of problems. So, But Christ is the one who ends that problem. And so we're only really free, our, our speech is only really free um, when it is um, coordinate with our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, in, the, in the discussions of this on the Internet, I've noticed that because of the problems of freedom with sin, many times my, my Reformed brethren will say that, um, that there, is, there really should be no freedom of speech in this world, in the politics of this world, because uh, they want, they, they of course, they want it to be, they want the speech to be totally righteous. And so they don't want this political freedom of speech because it's not the perfect freedom of speech. or It's not the perfect freedom of speech that you see in the Bible. And I mentioned to them, I said, well, there's only one problem with that. I said, um, what, what you see in the Bible is that despite man's sin, God gives mankind freedom of speech to misbehave. And he's much more holy than you. So how can it be right for God to give people freedom of speech in this world? Where you don't want to you don't want to give them that freedom of speech and the by the political systems that they are involved in and that that leads us to point four Which is the, the kind of the the difficult thing to perceive here and that is that um, That uh, when we turn to the political systems of this world, we are dealing with a post-fallen world And so if you're going to impose any rules on people, let's say, regarding freedom of speech, or if you're going to take that away, you have to you have to elect somebody to do that, or some group of people to do that. And uh, as the founders of America perceived rightly, in this fallen world, that is a real big problem. And what that tends to work out to when you when you when you try to um, impose a system on people, it turns out to be more tyrannical than free. We may have the best of intentions, but uh, in the history of the world, there's hardly been anything of what we might call freedom of speech. The the, the freedom of speech that we have in America that's ensconced in uh, law, in the Bill of Rights, is not very well known in the history of the world. That's because people have made such a mess of the freedom that they've had. So, uh, what what are political founders? Remember, our founders were built on the foundation of Puritanism, American Puritanism. America founded in the 1620s uh, and a little bit before, a little bit after, but America founded on the idea, on on the Bible. Puritans were very biblically oriented people. And so uh, and so, even though America drifted from this Puritan foundation and became more secular and more pagan by the time we were officially organized, there was still a tremendous residue of Christian thinking left in the world. And that's what influenced so many of our founders like Benjamin Franklin, who was not an evangelical, Thomas Jefferson, who was not an evangelical. These these men had many paganisms about themselves. But they they understood that they had certain understandings about the human being and about his tendency and his proclivity for evil toward one another. And so uh given that um, it is uh, one of the one of the things that we ought to see is that uh we ought to see this in this freedom of this discussion of free, freedom of speech. We ought to see it within these parameters of the creation and the fall and redemption. And there will be a day, I believe there will be a day when, when our politics can be, um totally free we can, we have laws you know, the, the laws of blasphemy in the Old Testament by Moses they are not bad things, they are good things in a, in a good world nobody would take God's name in vain no one, no one would shout curses at the Lord or curse him because of difficulties or tragedy in their life but in this fallen world that unhappily happens and so, um, the Lord, the Lord gave, uh, it, he, the Lord allowed blasphemous speech or evil speech against Himself. You know, when, when people uttered blasphemies in the uh, in the old world, uh, the angels did not come down and crash into existence and kill people, execute them uh, originally, immediately. So God gives the God gives people uh, the right to. Um, disobey and to, to rebel against him. and But the secret is that God does just fine with this because of why? Because the Holy Spirit is able to rescue people out of their mess, out of their bondage, out of their slavery with the gospel. And uh, they, they hear the gospel in, in evil places like Russia and in Washington, D.C. perhaps, uh, places where freedom of speech or God, we think godliness of speech is not being practiced but God sends his spirit and he rescues us he redeems us he puts us as it were back on the train tracks inwardly not coercively from the outside but inwardly in our hearts and our souls and the more God does that the more uh, behave, better behavior there will be and the more quote freedom there will be in our lives if we look at Psalm 22 <clears throat> that I've often referred to at the end, Psalm 22 uh, verse 27 um, it says this is the psalm that begins my God, my God, thou hast, why hast thou forsaken me? By the end of the psalm it, it sees the world as it's been influenced by Christ, and by the Atonement of Christ. And it says there in verse 27, All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord. This is a new thing. Through the redemption, through the gospel. They shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity will serve him. It will be recounted to the Lord uh, unto the next generations. They will come and declare his righteousness to a people who will be born, that he has done this. So this is looking at the progress of redemption down through the ages, and it's saying that there will be a day, there will be an age where God's will will be promoted. And in that day, there will be no blasphemies. And if someone dared to be blasphemous, they would be executed. But it wouldn't be seen as such a uh, such a, a, an upset to the way that the status quo of the culture, because the culture itself had been Christianized. The kingdom of God had come with power upon our world. Is this not why... <clears throat> When we believe in Christ, we preach and proclaim the things of God to our neighbors. We won't. We are not. We're not. We don't think we're in the place yet to impose these things upon our neighbors, but we preach them. And in God's good timing, according to the activity of the Spirit, He will work. And he will create that lovely co- coincidental relationship between truth. And speech, truth and behavior, so that, um, uh, so that people uh, can speak of freedom, but in a new and a, a different way. And so, <clears throat> um, all through the Psalms, there are references to these things. I think Psalm 47 is another one that I often refer to, because it speaks of the, the, the nations, the peoples of the world and the happiness that they will one day have uh, to uh, to be with the Lord. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. These are the different peoples of the world. Not, not just the Jews, not just even the Christians, but uh, everyone, the whole world. Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. All you peoples, shout to the God with a voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is awesome, he is, he is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples under us. That is under Israel, under the church, and the nations under our feet. This is brought out at the end of, uh, of uh, Ephesians chapter uh, 1 or 2 uh, about this process. that The nations will be converted and the, the excellence of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of the trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. See, this is the point of Christ. Christ did not just come to save a few people. Christ came to save the whole uh, whole creation. And all of those who will not get with the program will be um, put under God's everlasting judgment. But all the rest will be brought to him and they will winsomely uh, love the Lord. And they will unite together, and nations, their societies will become larger. The society of Christ will become larger and larger. That seems like an impossibility today, but has not the Holy Spirit done that to us? Has the Holy Spirit not? Has not the Holy Spirit touched our lives like this? Why should He not do that with others then? And what's going to happen when more and more people are converted? You see. So hopefully. Um, Hopefully you will see, hopefully you'll see some balance here too in your discussions about freedom of speech or other kinds of freedom here in this world, having thought about this in terms of the whole of the scriptures. Uh, in, in this fallen world, because of sin, we must have freedom of speech momentarily. Uh, because of the sin of the world, free speech is very rare today. We ought to cherish it where we find it. And the more, the more lovely it is, the more pure it is, the more we can rejoice. But we should never forget that freedom of speech uh, never is an excuse for blasphemy or vanity or vain ways of speaking. It's a real irony that even the pagans prove this by the way they behave. They, they say to the church, it's unjust for you to enforce your blasphemy laws on us. What are we seeing being done today in the name of Satan and humanism? They are enforcing their laws of blasphemy on us. Their laws of blasphemy are nothing other than what is called unrighteously called racism or hate speech today. There is racism. There is a racism that is a true racism, but it's not racist to want to raise your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord to not, 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 not as it is in Florida right now where we're, Disney and the company want to be able to teach the children that their uh, sexes are not the way they were created and it's considered racist or hate speech to take the position of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Bible so the pagan proves By his own behavior that he believes that there ought to be blasphemy laws. He just wants to define what the blasphemy is. He wants to define what righteousness is in terms of speech. And he wants to operate on the basis of the satanic scriptures and not the scriptures of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we pray that we would be lovers of free speech, especially... As it was found in the garden, and especially as it will be found in the future, as thy gospel works more and more in people's lives. Uh, help us, Lord, right now to use the feature of free speech, such as we have it, to sing of Christ. Help us to use uh, free speech to sing of the gospel, to sing of the kingdom. Help us, O oh Lord, uh, with Uh, Our freedom of speech to see that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Help us tie liberty and freedom to Thee and not try to consider it outside of Thy dominion, outside of Thy domain. We thank Thee for all of these scriptures and all of the truth that they entail. Help us to be educated by them and help us to think in a biblical way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.